0: Good morning. My name is Audra, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Roblox Q4 2021 Earnings Conference Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, followed by the number 1 on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press star 1 again. Thank you. And again, you may now begin your conference. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining our Q&A session to discuss Roblox's Q4 and fiscal 2021 results. With me today is Roblox's CEO, David Bazuki and CFO, Mike Guthrie. Before we start, I want to remind everyone that yesterday after market close, we published a shareholder letter and earnings results on our investor relations website at ir.roblox.com. On this call, we will make some brief opening remarks and reserve the rest of the time for your questions. For webcast participants, please note the question icon at the bottom of your screen where you can type in your questions. We'll do our best to take as many as possible. On today's call, we may be making forward-looking statements, including, but not limited to, our expectations of our business, future financial results, and strategy. Forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those described in our forward-looking statements. And such risks are described in our risk factors, including, included in our SEC filings, including our Form 10 q filed for the first quarter ended, for the fiscal quarter ended September 30, 2021. You should not rely on our forward-looking statements as predictions of future events. We disclaim any obligation to update any forward-looking statements except as required by law. During this call, we will also discuss certain non-GAAP financial measures. Reconciliations between GAAP and non-GAAP metrics for reported results can be found in our press release issued yesterday, as well as in our supplemental slides, copies of which can be found on our IR website. Um, Finally, this call is being webcast. And it will be archived on our website shortly after. With that, I'll call, turn the call over to David.
1: Thank you, Anna. This is David Bazuki, and I'm joined by Mike Guthrie this morning. We'd, we'd like to welcome our Roblox community and our investors, both large and small. Uh, great to be with you all today. And we're wishing uh, you and your families all the best as hopefully we're emerging from COVID. Last year at this time, we were heavily buttoned down. Today, we have many of our fans live in the office. We appreciate your partnership as you're joining us in our mission of bringing one billion people together with civility and optimism around the world. A couple quick highlights before we dive in with some additional facts that were not shared in our shareholder letter. In addition to our January user growth, Our 17 through 24-year-old segment in January grew 51% year on year, which is a wonderful validation of our vision to bring people of all ages together on our platform. And internationally, in addition to strong growth in Asia Pacific, Latin America, and Europe, two countries that we have a lot of focus on, Japan and India, both grew over 100% year on year, which is wonderful for us. Uh, as we start to look at expanding the uses of Roblox, our community fund is live, and we have, as we've announced, some exciting partnerships, including with First Robotics. And we continue to do branded events and concerts almost as fast as we can go as we move towards our vision of making these types of experiences completely self-serve and i would highlight our recent partnership both with the nfl and zara larson uh, over 40 percent of the top 100 experiences on roblox right now are using voice and we are working thoughtfully and carefully as we expand this rollout to our 13 and up validated users and as always we'll do this with safety and civility uh, and we have a lot of wonderful stuff in the pipeline that we can talk about today on the product side. Um, with that, just like to highlight our core value is always safety and civility, and it's where we put our primary focus. And with that, I'll hand it over to Mike Guthrie to see if he has any opening remarks.
2: Thanks, Dave. I just want to one addendum to things something that Dave said. In addition to the high rate of growth in 17 to 24 year olds, uh, that age demographic did comprise 20.5% of all DAUs in January. So it's not as though it's a small segment for us. It's a it's a large segment, and it's growing quickly. Um, as Dave uh, also mentioned, we're, we're, we're basically seven quarters into COVID. The first four quarters, our business grew dramatically, and we had uh, quarters in which our top line was tripling year over year and, and even – in Uh, This time last year, it was 2.6x what it had been the year before. So we're obviously lapping some fairly significant growth. What we do know for sure um, is that we're jumping off into 22 and into a period where the hope of the world is reopening in a place where we just have never been bigger or better positioned. We are at peak users on the platform. We are at peak engagement, having been over 4.2 billion hours uh, and over 4 billion for the first time. We have never had as many payers on the platform. And and most importantly, we've never shared more in the economics with the developer community and had a stronger set of incentives for developers to build amazing content. We've never worked with more artists on on the music side or brands on Roblox. And last and certainly not least, we have never had more incredibly talented product and engineering professionals in our company, excited to build amazing things over the next few years. So we couldn't be more excited about jumping into 2022 and beyond, and we really look forward to uh, uh, taking questions this morning. And uh, with that, I think we'll open it up. Over to you, Audra.
0: Thank you. And at this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, please press the star followed by the number 1 on your telephone keypad. We'll go first to Mike Ng at Goldman Sachs.
3: Hi, good morning. Thank you very much for the question. Um, I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, your view on the impact of uh, gift cards in the uh, quarter, particularly in December, and how that may have impacted uh, January bookings. Thank you very much.
2: Hey, Mike. Thanks for the question. <clears throat> we, um, we have a, a huge Q4 in gift cards. Gift cards grew incredibly quickly. What we've learned is that it's an incredible channel. It's very powerful. Getting gift cards in front of more people um, as they're uh, in the physical world is a high priority for us. And we just grew a really accelerated rate in the gift card business in December. because it's such a great gifting item, it, it's certainly possible that users came into January with uh, Robux balances. Um, we've been doing a little bit of work inside the company trying to figure that out. I, I don't have enough good data to suggest that there might have been some deferred purchasing in January, so I don't want to, I really don't want to make that statement. We're going to continue to do some work, but what you should take away from this is um, our our, um, our prepaid card team uh, looks at the store value product as a, as a really exciting one, and we're going to be putting quite a bit of resources behind growing that in 2022. Thanks.
3: Great. And if I could just have a quick follow-up, um, could you just talk a little bit about um, how you see the bookings growth evolving throughout 2022 and then into
2: 2023? Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I mean, yeah, we, we, you know, we don't give formal guidance, as you know. I, I, I always look – variety of data, but I I look at our bookings uh, charts and our DAU charts a lot, and I look at them over, you know, like a 12-quarter period, and obviously, on an absolute basis, the business has been, you know, really up and to the right over the last, well, 12 quarters and even before that. The point of that, though, is that, you know, when I look at the growth rates that were in 2Q of 20 and 3Q of 20 and 4Q of 20, uh, the first four quarters of, of, of COVID, we just had, you know, immense growth three times. The rate of growth in, in some of the quarters in between the first quarter of 21 and the second quarter of 21, we went from 161% bookings growth to 35%. And what that really represented was, um, you know, comparisons. We were we were finally in a period where we were comparing against our early quarterly results when COVID started. We look at the data a lot to see is that a you know a one-time bump in our business, or are we retaining those users? Are they becoming engaged uh, users on Roblox, and as we open things up, or as the world opens up, are they are they staying with us? And the answer is, is yes. We probably most clearly see that in payer data, where just the raw number of payers has been growing sequentially for a long time, and now sits it at peak levels. Um, what we also know uh, right now is that the big difference in booking. Separate from users and engagement, the big, it's the big difference in the growth and bookings really has to do with the rates of growth on weekdays and weekends. So if we just look at the United States and the United Kingdom in particular, when when COVID started every day, Monday through Friday, uh, we had super high growth because people weren't at work or at school um, versus our normally high rates of growth, mostly focused on the weekends. Now we're kind of unwinding that trend as people are going back to work, our growth rates necessarily are slowing down on the weekdays, but the weekend growth is still is still significant. And so that gives us confidence to say that if we laugh, we we believe that we'll be returning to the you know high rates of growth of a you know a great consumer internet business. So that's what we're that's what we're focused on doing. The the, the difficult compares um really when we look at last year, it's it's right after April. So it's that May June timeframe that we talked about. And just having, looking at that data, as you're coming down the other side, I would expect that you know, growth starts to accelerate. And as we look to late this year, then we're gonna start getting more normalized comparisons. And that should be an indication of what we think we can do in 23 and 24. But overall, while we look at that data, we also look at a lot of other things like changes to our product, things that we're doing, how we're investing in the business. And um, as a company focused on getting to a billion users, we're nowhere close to that. So we're, we're, we're quite optimistic about growth, especially as we expand the platform into other areas.
3: Great. Thank you very much.
0: We'll move next to David Carnosti with J.P. Morgan.
2: Hi. Thank you. Mike, maybe just to follow-up on your prior comments. As it pertains to U.S. and U.K. specifically, right, do, you, do you see January sort of representing, at this point, a normalized
4: level of, of post-pandemic spend and engagement for weekdays, or do you expect, you know, just a, a little bit more further readjustment as these regions head toward a full reopening?
2: Uh, it, uh, David, uh, good question. We've, we've watched this trend for a little while. It's hard for me to peg exactly the date we'll be, you know, absolutely sort of back to normal. Um, as Dave mentioned in his comments, you know, we're in the office today. There's a big team of folks. Um, in a conference room for the first time in a long time. And so I think, I think you know, the world's adjusting to that. Um, and, and my sense is it's gonna, it'll take a few more um, a few more weeks and months, but in a sense, every country is a little bit different. I mean, the U.S. has had its own cadence of openings and closings and different policies, even state by state. The UK has been different than we have been. Scandinavia has always been a core, you know, great market for us, albeit smaller from the user perspective, um, because people are very fluent in English, it was an you know early adopter of Roblox, but they had a very different approach to um to COVID than, than we have had from a policy standpoint. So it's not easy to like pick the bottom. I so we I think we'll see these kinds of trends going for a little while. Um and in a sense it's such an you know, COVID is such an odd externality for businesses to deal with. It's i think mean, it's possible that, that almost every business 23 will be hopefully its first like clean year in about three years because you just had an impact of either having it you know shutting things down or then or then reopening and um i think obviously we're still you know we're all optimistic that 22 is is open like we're open for business so I mean, it's it's not you know far away when i look at the year-over-year numbers i sort of peg it as somewhere between april may may june but but that's still uh you know
3: that's still a guess. Okay, and then Dave, can you maybe expand a bit on some of the actions you're taking to make the platform uh, more scalable for brands, and then you know for companies like Nike or Vans that you know are running persistent experience on Roblox, you know, be interested to know the feedback so far and you know, how they view the platform as a channel to reach their their consumers. Thanks.
1: Yeah, thanks for asking that. Whether it's um, Gucci, Vans, Nike, or the NFL, the, the vision we have is that immersive 3D interaction is ultimately an amazing way for fans to connect with brands, possibly even more than print or image or video. And we shared some of the numbers with Gucci. I don't think we shared Nike or Vans numbers or the NFL numbers. Uh, what we we can see a future where brands come to our platform, they use our talent hub to connect with our community. The talent hub is live to find partners to help build these experiences, and ultimately the building of these experiences is very similar to building a video spot. We are working now additionally in ways for brands and artists to validate their accounts, so we know it's the real brand or artist, so that they can boost. Uh, traffic internally to their destination if they want, so on a single day, for example, they can use facilities on their own without a partnership uh, with us to boost traffic to those experiences. And then finally, ways um, just based on our core technology to make it easier and easier for very scaled, highly complex experiences work at super high performance on all devices, phone, tablet, and computer, where ultimately the technology we're building will be akin to video or camera, and that is more and more people can make these things
4: very easily. Thank you.
0: We'll move next to Clark Lansing at PTIG.
2: Hi, thanks. Good morning. Um, I have a quick question on user growth and, and the impact that uh, international mixes is, is going to have as that, you know, sort of grows uh, over time. I was wondering if you could help us think about, you know, how much localizing the Roblox software and developer kit has on growth. You know, I think you guys cover a little over 40% of the world's population in their native language, and I'm curious how that's benefiting, you know, consumer onboarding, developer growth, you know, velocity of creation, things
1: along those lines. I'll go first with a high-level product vision, and then I'll hand it over to Mike. The we have a twofold vision. Uh, like any other traditional software product, we want our clients, and in certain countries, Roblox Studio to be available in the local language, and we continue to expand those languages. But the second thing is when a creator makes content on Roblox. Um, in addition to pushing that content one time to any device, phone, tablet, computer, console, we also want that content to push automatically to multiple languages at the same time. And this is this is how we run right now. We continue to add languages, um, Japanese, for example, uh, Russian, other languages, to make that happen automatically. And in addition, we always bring up uh, live ops, trust, and safety as well to complement the live operations of that in multiple countries. So yes, as we add more languages, there's in- increased coverage, um, hopefully with the exact same quality we have in our our native English first language. And then I'll
2: keep going, Yeah, that in my Clark, did that get to your question? Or was there a more specific financial part to it as well? Yeah, no, I mean, nothing specific. I guess I'm just curious if you guys have seen as that happens that there is, you know, significant uptick in developer onboarding or, you know, consumer onboarding and engagement. And it sounds like it's just kind of uh, across the
4: board a couple.
2: Yeah, I, that's right. Yeah. I mean, we do, we do look at data where we look at what we call affinity. So is there a local affinity for content in that language? And there generally is, which means to the extent that, we are successful in growing uh, a local developer community in those markets. The, the, that that content will probably find a really receptive market. On the other hand, um, it's also been true over the years at that popular global content is pretty popular around the world. Uh, localization tends to help, um, but uh, some things are just universal, which is which is cool. But I, I don't think it ever hurts us to have a growing and um, you know, healthy local developer community because some of that content will just find a, a really receptive audience.
1: We uh, and just a, a final wrap up on the developer community. We have a recent blog post where we identify the ranking of where we see Roblox developers um, in order: United States, Brazil, Russia, Philippines, United Kingdom, Germany, Canada, Mexico, Turkey, South Korea. There's really a a variety of organic uh, creators and developers
4: coming on from around the world.
0: Next, we'll move to Brian Nowak at Morgan Stanley.
1: Great, thanks for my questions. Rather than talking year-on-years, I I think it could be helpful to talk about sequentials a little bit just given sort of the the noise in the year-on-year comps. It looks like North America daily active users were down sequentially. Um, could you just talk about, you know, what what age group is driving that, which one's declining versus not growing as quickly sequentially? And then are you seeing North America DAUs up in January versus December? And how do you think about the sequential growth of North America DAUs throughout the rest of this quarter?
2: Yeah. Hey, Brian. Um, DAUs, um, you know, in in the fourth quarter, it's not unusual to have a, a, a decline. Just think a little bit, like Q3 is July, August, and September. July and August are just peak for us. Like, it's an absolutely, you know, high-level time of activity. September is, you know, back to school, things slow down, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shorter month. And then October and November are actually pretty quiet for us until late, when things pick up, a little bit of a bump around Halloween. So, and then it really picks up around December, obviously, for the holidays. So so Q3 is, has been bigger than Q4, you know, many years. It's not it's not really unusual. Um, the other effect that on DAUs, on daily active users, is this frequency issue, right? The number of accounts, I don't have that off, off my top of my head, um, it, it's probably not uh, down year over year. It's just the daily activity, um, is coming down because, again, people are back to school, back to work, and it's in- incredibly difficult to compare with a period where everything was shut down. We've just never seen anything like that in, in our history. So um, in, Jan- in January, my guess is just frequency, especially off of the holidays, too, but um, the comparisons actually will also affect the sequential data.
4: Guys, is January still down versus December? North
2: America? Uh, I, I, I'm guessing it is. I'll, I'll, I'm going to look around the table and get the data for you, and we'll come back before the end of the call. Okay.
0: We'll go next to Brandon Ross at Lightshed.
4: Hi. Thanks for the questions. I have a few. Um, first, as we try and sort through this um, noise that COVID has presented, if you look at the on a two-year basis usdau growth is um the is like 25 um should we expect that number to be similar as we approach like real normalization going forward is that is that a good way to think about user growth in a, on a normalized basis
2: in the u.s
4: in the u.s yeah uh,
2: i don't know I don't. I don't know specifically if 25% is the right number. What's going to happen over the next few years is that number is going to be defined much more by an older user base. So, for example, right now, um, you know, if I get back to Brian's earlier question, my strong sense is that 17 to 24 is actually not down sequentially, and we know the year-over-year growth rates are really substantial. So. In the U.S. market, generally, generally what you're seeing right now, and what we expect to see over the next few years, is that growth will be defined primarily by older users. And those numbers, you know, build a user base. If they look at 13 to 16 and 17 to 24, those growth rates are pretty high right now. Um, 9 to 12 and even U9, we have a huge user base there, but we also have a very high percentage of the population. So we've been incredibly successful. Our, our, our strategy and expectation with that market is to continue to penetrate that market, but we're getting to points where obviously uh, additional penetrations is going to be hard to do because we have such a good a foothold. And our, our focus will, will be to make sure that we don't lose that market. That we're continuing to, not, you know, we don't, that we continue to focus on what is in our core market. But growth is going to be driven by, by older users, and that will be um, you know, when, when Dave talks about the percentage of, of, uh, experiences that are aged up experiences or the percentage of experiences where we have voice, those are age verified older users. Those are the kinds of things that are going to drive growth in the United States. Now, you know, again, you look at our, look at our numbers right now, growth is also being driven outside of the United States at pretty aggressive rates, And that's just necessary, right? We're going to be, um, we're going to be growing, you know, we're fortunate to be growing in Asia Pacific, Latin America, parts of Europe. So so overall, you know, if I'm cutting into pieces, the, the slower growth will be core markets, U.S., I mean, core age demographics in the U.S., under 13, high growth and aging up. And then really, we should be high growth in the rest of the world for, for quite a while. And I'll turn it back over to David. He has
3: a yeah, I just want to
1: highlight uh, one other um you know, for a long time, we were a monthly active user company, and we don't share those results, I believe, publicly. But those numbers highlight a traditional type of behavior on Roblox, especially weekend behavior, where those numbers are supported by weekend behavior. As we move to DAU behavior, and Mike has shared that, um, we capture um, usage on every day. One thing to note. A lot of the product vision that we are working on right now for Roblox, in addition to engagement, is the DAU-type product behavior, spontaneous communication, voice communication, faster frequency of the product. So so there are a lot of product um, functionality things that we're working on that in a world where um, MAUs were growing we would expect uh, DAUs to grow even faster based on that product functionality
2: and before then before you next, next question sorry i just want to i just want to respond to brian's last question so brian sure. uh, DAUs in January are, in U.S. and Canada, are up sequentially in January over December. It's actually a pretty nice bump. So just to to close out your your prior question. So, Brandon, sorry, back to you.
4: Before I get to a big picture question, just kind of extrapolating from what you're saying um, overall, are monthly active users in the U.S. and more established markets continuing to grow despite the decline in DAU? Um, as it's been less of a daily habit moving to the weekend?
2: Um, yeah, it, it, it probably is a low, The other trend, we'll have to go back and look at it. We're not – it's very difficult for us to report that number and answer your question because we know we have uh, duplicate accounts in that number, so it doesn't really do me a lot of good to give you that number if I'm not totally confident. However, what I will tell you is conversion of – in our. When we look at our numbers. The conversion of DAOs to MAOS is actually growing. The, the right, I think, the question you're trying to get at, Brandon, would be accounts. If we looked at accounts, are accounts growing or contracting? I definitely don't have that number off the top of my head, but my guess is that number is still growing in the U.S. Um, and again, with older users growing as quickly as they are, I'm, I'm almost positive of that. So that's the number that we should um, we can go back and take a look at. But um but the MAU number, because it, it includes alt accounts, is just a little more complicated, but we know the conversion rate is going up. So that is good. Um, you know, it is, it, there is a frequency there. It, it's just a frequency compared to a period of time, I don't think it's not like a broken record, where everybody was locked down. And so it's very, very hard to compare to a period where people weren't leaving the house um and had really didn't have a lot of alternatives yet we're still quite a bit bigger than we were then so that's really that's really the thing that we're working through right now
4: okay great and then you talked in the letter about learning a lot from the brand experimentation on the platform and as you look at the brands um, that have um, built experiences for your platform which ones do you believe have been the most successful experiences and why? What does it take for a brand to succeed on Roblox right now?
2: I'll start by saying I think we love all of our children equally. I don't like to say every brand is that, you know, it's, we're so early, I'm mean, going like, to like answer this question, but it's just so early, I, I, we, we do love seeing the experimentation. Um, brands and heads of marketing all have different goals and different approaches to to interaction with, with the user base, and as Anyway, I'll, I'll let Dave respond, but I, I think we're really in a very cool experimentation phase, so we love the fact that people are testing. One of the things that's you know, so different is the sheer level of engagement that brands may be able to enjoy on our platform versus anything else, but anyway.
1: Yeah, I think it, I think it's really early. I think um, without getting any forward-looking uh, thoughts on future product functionality, one can imagine... Uh, Just as in video, uh, advertising and brand is such a large market. One can imagine the size of that in immersive 3D. Once we start moving into 3D human co-experience, we start to see things that mirror the real world. And so when we walk through Gucci, that is an experience that is virtually visiting an installation and purchasing things. And we've actually seen some interesting trading of those items, just like in the real world, following that. With uh, Nike and Vans experience, uh, wearing that clothing, taking your skateboard out, hanging out with your friends, something we do in the real world. With the NFL, you know, interacting um, and playing with your friends around um, Virtual Football League and all of those kind of things. So as they are all our children. We We want to highlight right now that we are focused on the scalability, the self-serve, the elegance of the experience, and the engagement of those experiences, uh, while reserving all of the long-term monetization. So we are more focused on DAU user engagement growth with them than trying to monetize them heavily. But uh, we're very optimistic. There's a lot of flexibility and creativity for brands to take what they would do in the real world and uh, mirror it in our digital world. Thank
4: you.
0: We'll go next to Matthew Thornton at Trust Securities.
3: Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, maybe just following up on, the, on the, the brand commentary there, David, I guess, you know, how far are we – from seeing um, commerce enabled, you know, enabled on the platform, with a with a first step maybe being a partnership with someone like a, like a Shopify or or, or a comparable. I'm kind of curious. Any, any thoughts there? Um, secondly, coming back to the you can uh, DAUs question, I know sequentially they they're they've always been down historically, but I think year on year, if we back out the outage, I'm curious if that would, if you have any idea as to how much impact that had on the on the year on year comparison on on the dau and then uh, and then just relatedly there i guess you know mike i'm not sure if you have any data on the under 13 cohort and particularly the, like the 5 to 11 type demo because obviously vaccinations really just kicked off in in november there so i'm curious if that's kind of coming into into play there as well any any thoughts there would be great thanks guys um,
1: so I'll, I'll highlight that we do watch USA 9 through 12, as well as 17 through 24. We do not publish the MAU numbers, uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty well known that in USA 9 through 12, on the MAU side, we're a cultural phenomenon with very high usage. There's a lot of headroom on the DAU to NAU ratio. And so when we look at future DAUs in the United States, as that ratio gets better as Robo, you know the headroom Roblox is a utility that's used daily for a wide range of things, communication, play, learning. There's a lot of headroom on that ratio. So, so that is the um, vision of how those USA 9 through 12 DAUs can continue to grow. On the brands, there's, as you correctly note, um, future areas of monetization include uh, digital shopping. Uh, one of our partners Someday, their 3D destination, in addition to a try on brand experience, people will be buying from those experiences um, and having those items delivered to their doorstep, although we're not going to announce when and and how that will work. There is obviously a full brand immersion type of advertising that we're starting to see early signals of. There's also a a dynamic advertising opportunity that will be – you know, exploring, which includes the use of teleports to go from place to place to launch people into individual places, includes the use of dynamic display ads that instead of getting in front of the experience and delaying the user are immersive and native. So uh, the highlight here is, you know, we've got $3 billion or whatever the right number, might of cash in the bank. We're hiring a lot of amazing engineers. But we are primarily focused on safe and civil quality user engagement growth and DAU growth right now on the platform, with a lot of opportunity for gentle increased monetization that doesn't get in front of our users long term.
2: Yeah, and, and that what? So, sorry, go back to your your second question was about U.S. and Canada DAU, and do I break out something and I, I I just didn't track.
3: Uh, so, yeah, sorry, Mike. I, I guess um, I know they're always down sequentially, but I guess year on year, are you able to quantify what impact the outage had? And then just relatedly, if you think about the the 5 to 11 demo, uh, obviously vaccination really just kicked off in, in early November there. So I'm curious if, if you have any data to kind of maybe talk to what kind of impact that could be having in that cohort in 4Q and as we go into into 22. Thanks.
2: Yeah, um, I, I what I can tell you on the on the U nine uh, U9 cohort is that on a global basis, it's growing quickly, um, uh, and it's hold on, give me one second. I'm gonna um, yeah. So it's U nine right now on a global basis is, is just about at the average growth rate of DEs. It's just a little underneath it. So, U9 is still growing quickly. Uh, US specifically, I don't have it in front of me, I'm not sure. I'm not gonna actually go through that level of detail. But, um, now, to about the outage, um, it, it, you know, we talked, in our November release, we talked a little bit about it, with three days and the timing, and I think we did a pretty good job of, of estimating it. So, I'll go back and take a look at that. Um, uh, yeah, okay. But. I know for a fact in January over December, the overall U13 is growing sequentially. The year-over-year data I don't have in front of me, and um, I don't certainly have it the U9 versus 9 to 12. But U9 is, is, is less penetrated than 9 to 12.
0: And we ask that you please uh, limit yourself to one question for the remainder of the call due to time constraints. We'll go next to Bernie McTurnin with Needham & Company.
3: Great. Um, thanks for taking the question. Um, Mike, I was wondering, you know, I appreciate the breakdown between weekends and weekdays. I think that's really helpful. Is it possible to give a, a, a number for what weekends grew at in either 4Q or January for bookings?
2: There is not, but thank you for asking. I'm just not going to get into that. Should yeah, I choice, maybe flip so another, another one then? Let's, yeah, go ahead.
3: Yeah, um, and I understand you want to keep the friction low for brands to experiment on the platform. Um, What's the signal you guys are looking for, though, to know when the right time to focus on monetization really is? Uh, With brands,
2: when is the right time to turn on monetization? Yeah. I'll give you a quick overview and I'll let Dave talk more about it. Um, I think it's incredibly subjective. Right now, last year we had 12 great successful brand experiences. In the beginning of this year, we started off at a higher rate. I think the metric for 2022 is the sheer number of great brands that just do something with us so that they're looking at the platform and experimenting. And as we watch what they do and how they do it and the value that they get, then I think we can start having those discussions. Um, I think to do it otherwise would be to add a lot of friction, require long negotiations, and really slow down uh, that part of the platform, which I think would be a real mistake. I, I've had conversations in the last few weeks and months with um, some of the developer community. Um, many of them are getting very, very sophisticated. These, uh, these developers are really building sophisticated businesses. They're not just hiring developers. They're hiring business people. They look at the brand opportunity. They're really excited about it um the 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 recent uh brand experiences are built by our community and they're really excited about that that opportunity um the economics of that um is uh is a great pairing to what they're doing on their other creations and building of of gaming experiences and so we want to let that really grow organically uh rather than try to cut that off and slow it down
1: uh, yeah, and then this is Dave chiming in on uh, what you might see, once again, without giving any date. That is a functionality on our platform that supports both brands and developers. For developers, we're seeing more and more uh, VC-backed developers, developers taking a bigger risk. And many of these developers, just as they do in other markets, Want to initially bring uh, people to their experience as they test, as they grow and uh, boost themselves. And so we have a primitive system on our platform. We are refining that so that is much more sophisticated. That um, concept of um, boosting and really essentially paying to bring people to a destination in a nice way is very similar to a brand in a traditional TV spot where they want to make sure they get a certain number of eyeballs on their, in this case, video, but in the future in their 3D immersive experience. So you will see us working on ways for brands. If a brand wants to predictably have 5 million people in a week, for example, come to their experience, at some point, and once again, I'm not sure what the right number is, whether it's 100,000 or whatever, have a way to do that and guarantee they can bring that type
4: of exposure.
0: We'll go next to your Crom,
4: steeple. people. Hey, thanks. Hey, guys, good morning. Um, several larger entities have expressed ambitions around or an intent to develop a metaverse. Um, as you reflect on last year, did you find that this competitive
3: push created – any challenges for Roblox, including your ability to recruit and retain intellectual capital? And would you anticipate this
4: changing in any way in 2022? Thanks. Yeah, I'll, I'll
1: comment on this. The, the metaverse concept has been around for 30 years, and this has been a consistent arc from the initial mention in Snow Crash uh, through some products in actually the early 2000s. Through Roblox, we've been doing this for 16 years. We have a cool, a, a bunch of things that are really foundational to us, including being a 100% UGC platform, a foundation on safety and civility, and uh, and really a company based on innovation. We've seen absolutely zero friction on the recruiting side as we continue to grow and um, you know show our vision of where we're going here.
0: And next, we'll move to Omar Dasuki at Bank of America. Omar, your line is open. You may be muted.
3: Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, we can. Great. Thank you. Okay. Uh, You presented a compelling feature uh, release roadmap
4: uh, for the first half of 22 at your Investor Day in November, uh, including spatial voice, UGC, 3D-layered clothing, avatar heads, faces and bodies, and facial expressions, for example. Uh, Which of your feature roadmap would you consider continuous improvement of the platform versus a step change improvement in the technology and also, how would you think about your acquired technologies, uh, such as Human and Gilded, uh, in that respect? Yeah, so a
1: couple of highlights. Um, we presented a, a really wide roadmap at our investor day. Um, I don't think we gave any ship dates for that. And at the same time, we're live with spatial audio. And I think the layered clothing and UGC bodies are, you know, I can see where they are in the pipeline. I'm really excited and optimistic about that. But I wouldn't, we would never give ship dates on anything. Um, On our acquisitions, we tend to make two types of acquisitions. Uh, We are traditionally bringing people on board who are experts in certain fields, whether it's Loom AI, as you mentioned, some of the others that have expertise around Avatar or other types of our platforms, social with Bash. Um, And then on the case with Gilded, this is a wonderful parallel category. I would call that the social communication platform, and there's several other well-known people in this area. We do believe there's opportunities for interoperability, for connection between these types of platforms and what we would call Roblox as an immersive 3D co-experience platform. So one of the things we're doing with Gilded is using that as a way to look into the way these types of platforms can connect openly. And when we do that, we will, we will make those available to other social communication platforms.
0: And we have no further questions in the phone, so I'll turn the conference over to Anna for the web questions. Uh, great. I think we've got time for one more from Andrew Urkowitz from Jeffrey. Uh, Dave or Mike, can you discuss spending trends relative to new users versus repeat and by international versus US Canada?
2: Sorry, spending trends? Mm hmm. Oh, oh, so saying again, new users versus versus international uh, new users versus repeat. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, international right. versus US
2: Canada. Yeah. Um uh payers uh tend to over time increase their rates of payment and new payers always tend to be on the low end of monetization. So um as we add new payers, they tend to come in low and grow over time as a cohort. Um it, returning payers are, are pretty predictable um, as, a, as a cohort. They tend to grow really consistently for very long periods of time. So we have really high payer retention um, on the platform, and um, you know oh, it, it, it's been true for forever that the new payers are dilutive to so the overall monetization, while the existing payers are, are continuing to add uh, international um, monetization it very much tracks GDP per capita. You look at the wealth effects of countries, and the spending will look very, very similar. Um, so if you took the U.S. as a unit of one, then look at GDP per capita in the other countries, and you'll probably have a pretty good sense of where monetization is around the world. Great.
0: Okay, I think that wraps it up for us. Thank you. And that does conclude today's conference. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.